Good afternoon. I don't know about you, but maybe you've heard the, the, the phrase before. You're speaking with someone about the gospel, talking with them about, about God and about Jesus Christ and about His church, about our need to be with one another, our need to spend time uh, to, together worshiping God, our need to obey His commandments, maybe even our need to be baptized. And somewhere along the conversation, you hear the phrase, hey, listen, just preach to me Jesus. That's all I want to hear. Preach to me Jesus. Those other things, the things that the, the church is teaching, the things that the religious folk of the day are teaching, those things are well and nice, but I know what I need. I need Jesus. So just preach to me Jesus. Maybe you've heard that said before, heard it said in that context before. Usually, when that is said, it is because somebody has taught something that, that someone... It's controversial. It's something that maybe is contradictory to things that they've heard in their past. And it seems like a, a sound and wise place to hide. What more can I possibly need than Jesus Christ? I will just hide behind that phrase. You teach me Jesus and that will be just fine. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to preach and to teach Jesus to the lost? And should that include things like baptism or not? I think we get a very good picture of that, what I want to look at this afternoon. Acts chapter 8, we have a picture of the preaching of Jesus to a lost soul. We read about the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And there's a lot of things that we learn in there about what was going on. First of all, we know the Ethiopian eunuch believed in God. He had been in Jerusalem. He's been heading back to Ethiopia. And along the way, he's studying the Bible, the Scriptures. He's studying from Isaiah. And along the way, as he's going, he is met by this evangelist, Philip, who comes running up and says, do you know what you're talking about or what you're reading about? And his response is, how can I possibly know unless somebody, somebody explains it to him? So he stops the chariot, he invites him up, and we read there, uh, as, as he goes along, he, he, he says, hey, hey, can you help me to understand? And it says in verse 32, we'll pick up, the place in the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth, and his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. I think we can learn some things about this account uh, about what Philip must have spoke to this man. And the first place that I would go to as we were looking at this and saying what lessons can we learn from the way that Philip preached Jesus is starting at the source material. They begin starting in, verse, in, in Isaiah. They're specifically reading Isaiah 53. Uh, in Isaiah 53, we're, we're seeing this picture of this person who has suffered great things. In fact, is suffering the loss of his life uh, and the guy has a question. The Ethiopian has a question. He says, who is he talking about? So whatever it was that Philip taught him during his, his time with him, I know one thing he must have taught him is that the picture that you see here in Isaiah 53, specifically verses 4 through 6 as he was reading, is a picture of Jesus Christ who died for your sins. The first thing that we can learn about preaching Jesus to the world is to preach the fact that Jesus has died for the sins of the world. It said in Isaiah 53, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken. He was wounded 
Uh, verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Why did this man die? It was not for the sins that he committed. It was not for the trespasses that he was guilty of. It was not for his transgressions. It was the iniquity of the world being laid upon his shoulders. His stripes, his wounds, his, his pain and suffering was what we were deserving. Is what we were owing to God. And he took that on. Preaching Jesus begins by preaching that Christ died for our sins. He goes on in verse 10 of that same chapter. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his day and the pleasures of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Even there in verse 10, we're starting to get pictures of what the next thing he must have taught was. But what I want you to see in that is that message of, 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 of suffering, of death for our sins, is the message that other gospel writers went on to proclaim as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-3, through 3, if you want to just keep your place there in Isaiah, we're going to jump back. Paul says in, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. That's exactly what, what the eunuch is reading in, in, in Isaiah 53. It's exactly where... Philip would have taken him to help him see who is this man talking about? He's talking about that Jesus of Nazareth that, that came and died that everyone has heard of in this land. That's who it's talking about. But what else is it talking about? It's talking about the fact that it didn't end for him in death. Isaiah 53 verse 12 goes on to say, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He's talking about the glory that is going to come to this man, who, this, this suffering image that he is describing. In fact, is, before he even begins this, uh, this imagery that we know so well in, verse 50, in chapter 53, think about what he says in chapter 52. Look over in verse 13. He says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. From the very beginning to the very end of this prophecy that Isaiah is, 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 is speaking about, that Jesus fulfills, he's saying, yes, he's going to die. But he is going to be extolled. He is going to be exalted. He is going to be glorified. His end will not be in death. But there is more planned for him. That's the picture that we're seeing in Isaiah's prophecy. That's the picture that Philip must have proclaimed when he preached unto him Jesus from this passage, that Jesus was a man that came and died for your sins. He came and died because of what you have done to separate yourself from God so that you could be drawn back into a relationship with Him. But that didn't end his story. Three days later, he was raised from the, from the grave. Hundreds of people saw him. His disciples were able to speak with him, touched him, and, and many people were witness to Him returning to the heavens and the clouds. 
And that's the theme that Peter takes in Acts chapter 2. Whenever he proclaims that gospel message, in verse 36, notice what he says. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. There's part one. He died. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Part two. From the quotation of Isaiah that, that the, the eunuch is spending time studying along his way home, that Philip begins here and preaches to him Jesus, we learn right off the bat that Jesus died for our sins and that Jesus has been raised to the right hand of God. He has been glorified. And in fact, that's still the message that's being proclaimed in the days of, of Peter and a message that needs to still be proclaimed today. I'll give you another example of that in Acts chapter 5 in verse 30. Acts chapter 5, verse 30 says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. When we preach Jesus to the world, we have to begin with the underlying knowledge that Jesus died for our sins. Jesus came to this earth, humbled Himself as a man so that He could come and reflect God to a people who had not seen Him. But He could describe Him to them through His life, through His obedience, through His trust. And He could die for their sins so that they could one day come into a relationship with Him, be entering into a covenant with Him that will lead to eternal life. And having done that, God raised Him up, not just from the dead, raised Him back up to a place, a seat of authority and power. And that is where He stands today. This is the beginning of teaching and preaching Jesus to the lost. But it doesn't end there. Because we see as you read on in Acts chapter 8 that he's preaching to him from Isaiah 53. He says starting at this passage, he taught him Jesus, preached unto him Jesus. And then verse 36 comes along. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now I challenge you, go back through Isaiah and search and read and find out where exactly Isaiah was preaching and teaching about baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That this eunuch, as Philip talked about it, would go, okay, that's something I need to do. I'm going to tell you, I don't believe it's in there. I don't believe you'll find it. So somewhere along the way, as he preached and teached to him Jesus as the Savior, as the one who came and died for his sins, as the one who's been glorified to power, somewhere that included teaching on what Jesus commanded his disciples to teach. Mark chapter 15 and 16, go into all the world, preach to every, every creature, telling them to believe and be baptized for the remission of their sins. In Matthew 28 and verses 18, 19, and 20, the Great Commission, when he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them. Or to be baptized in the name of the Father, uh, the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. Over and over again, Jesus was leaving that instruction with his apostles and with his disciples that would follow after him. And that's exactly what Philip is doing. He's taking the message that he was reading, starting where he is at in Isaiah 53, proclaiming to him Jesus, and then saying, now that you know what Jesus has done, now that you know where Jesus is today, here's what Jesus said for me to tell you. And that was you need to believe in him and you need to be baptized. We see that there is great importance 
in this teaching. Notice the question. The question is not, well, do you really think I have to do that? As they go down the road, well, well, this whole baptism thing, let's go back to it. Do you really think, can't can't I just say a prayer? Can't I just make a sacrifice? I mean, yes, Jesus was sacrificed for me, but all these other people are making sacrifices. Can't I just do what's common, what's prevalent, and what's popular today? That's not the question that he asks. The question that he asks is, what's keeping me? Why can't I be baptized? What is stopping me from being baptized today? You see that there is a level of importance to this Ethiopian eunuch, that as he heard about who Jesus was, about what Jesus has done, and somewhere along the way, Jesus' commandments to be baptized, he wanted to know, why can't I do that? Why can't I be a part of that as well? That shows us that baptism was proclaimed to him as something of vital instruction. It carries on with the apostles' teachings. Acts chapter 2 is a great example of that. Uh, As Right after proclaiming that Jesus has uh, been crucified... After proclaiming that he has been exalted, both Lord and Christ, when they hear these things, they're cut to their heart, and they say, what do we do? Peter's response, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Over and over again, this is going to become a part of the apostles' doctrine. Acts chapter 10, verses 47 47 and 48. It says, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. In fact, as you go on and you begin looking at some of the other apostle writers, you look at what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 6. It becomes very, very clear that baptism was not just something that happened as as an afterthought to becoming a Christian. In Romans chapter 6, Paul is connecting their lives in Christ to baptism. Do you remember when you were baptized into His death? When you were connected to His death? When you were plugged into His death? Do you remember how you got there? You got there through baptism. Peter again will write in 1 Peter 3.21, Baptism now does save us talks about how our hearts are sprinkled with clean water by God. How we receive a good conscience from the Father through baptism. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly preaching Jesus to the lost in the first century included, not just included, demanded preaching about baptism. About how you connect to that blood that was shed. Yes, He died for you. He made the sacrifice for you. And His blood covers your sins. But you have to connect to that blood somehow. You have to be in Him and a part of Him. And in one level, that happens with baptism. But again, we go back to Acts chapter 8 because it doesn't end there. Because not only do we have the question, we see the importance, we even see the immediacy. He's saying, look, the water's right here. Should I wait till I get back to Ethiopia? Should I wait till, till we find the next town that's got a, a church, that's got a collection of these saints that you're talking about? He's saying, no, right here, right now, what's standing in my way? And Philip is saying, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to do this if you believe. If you believe with all your heart, you may. The answer, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and Eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. We see another thing that needs to be taught. Not only when we preach Jesus, but when we think about Jesus in our own lives. All too often, 
people view the church of Christ as that crazy cult that thinks they're the only ones going to heaven and hold way too much foundation in baptism. That's the name that we tend to get out in the world. That doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me that's the name that we have. It bothers me when it becomes the name that describes us best, though. It becomes our true identity, that we hold something a little bit higher than we should. What I'm suggesting by that is we need to have the same attitude that Philip had. He didn't say, yeah, man, let's, let's get you in the water. He said that needs to be, needs to be precluded by faith. There are many times where people dunk themselves into water and raise up just to be wet. He is pointing out here that you have to believe the things that I've talked about. You have to have faith in that. You have to really hold fast into that and you have to buy into that. And that has to change you. Now, does that mean that the faith that I have as a young person coming to Christ, believing that He is the Son of God, believing that He died for me, believing that He has been raised to, to, to life, raised to a place of power and authority, and, and I am being baptized into Him for the forgiveness, forgiveness of my sins, does that mean that my faith is going to be the same level as someone who's been in that for 60 years? No, of course not. I'm going to come with a conforming faith, the same faith that this eunuch had, a faith that said, I believe that, and right now, the only thing I have to model myself off of that are the peers that are around me. The only thing that he had at that moment was Philip and the Scriptures. Philip was removed pretty quick, quickly from that. The only thing that we see him going forward with is his newfound joy as a child of God in the Scriptures for him to learn and to, to grow in. When we come to God, when we come to Christ, we come with a faith. We should come. We must come with a faith. And, and sometimes we get to feel in that faith as we, as we have progressed in Christ and we've seen that we have done things that we feel like we should be ashamed of and we think that faith is it's not today what it was then. And sometimes I think we get just a little bit ashamed of that. But I don't think we should. But I think we should be ashamed. I think we should be ashamed and I think we should question very much if we were baptized into Christ not believing that this baptism is the way that I connect to Him. If we were baptized into Christ not believing that without this baptism I can't be forgiven of my sins. If we were baptized into Christ not believing that if I want to be a part of His kingdom, I have to be washed by Him, having my heart sprinkled. Yes, the baptism is important. But as I've said before, I could load up I've loaded up a trailer full of people and drive it through Lake Mingo and they're not going to come out the other side saved. Faith is necessary. Faith is essential to our salvation. Philip makes that so clear. He says, doesn't say if you think it's a good idea. He says if you believe with all your heart. That's the kind of a belief that's going to make changes. That's the kind of belief that's going to yearn for more. Going to want to grow. Want to going to stretch going to want to, to, to be molded by the Father. So when we think about preaching Jesus to the lost, a lot of times people say that, and what they're really wanting to say is, you tell me all the good things that Jesus did in His life. You tell me the things that Jesus did about healing the sick, 
about making the blind see and the lame walk, about feeding the thousands, the miracles, you tell me about those. And I love to talk about those. I told you all before, it's one of my favorite things in the Bible is to talk about His miracles. When we preach Jesus to the lost, we need them to know He gave His life for you. He gave His life for what you've done. And God raised Him up. God drew Him out of the grave. God drew Him back into heaven. Set Him on the right hand of the throne of grace and mercy so that He can, he can intercede for us today. He can be our high priest. He can be the temple that we go before God in worship of. But for us to be able to do that, we have to be in Him. And being in Him means that we believe He has the power to do that. We're willing to submit our power, our authority. I'm going to save myself. I'm going to do all the right things myself. We're going to submit that. To say, I'm going to do what He wants me to do. I'm going to follow the path that He has left for me. A path that calls me to die with Him. We don't talk about baptism enough as if it's dying. But that's what it is. We're dying to our old life, to live a new life, to be raised up as He was raised up from the grave. Baptism isn't just about being buried underwater. It's about being buried spiritually. That old man is going to go into the grave with us and a new man's going to come up that's not looking back to that old man. And every time he tries to dig out of that grave, we're going to try again to bury him deeper this time. Because we're striving for a life built on faith, built in trust in who Jesus is and what He, what he does. When we read in Hebrews that we're to come to the throne of grace and mercy boldly, it's because we have faith in what that prayer can do for us. We have faith in that, that going to Christ and boldly asking Him to help me with my addictions, help me with my sin, help me with my lying, help me, give me strength. That when we couple that with what we learn in the, Spirit, in the Scriptures about the Spirit, how the Spirit is working with us to strengthen us in the inner man. We, we learn that through study and through prayer, through faith, having been baptized into Christ, who sets at the throne of God, having died so that we can be free from our sins. We can truly come to the Lord and have life abundantly. We need to preach Jesus to the lost. Sometimes we need to preach Jesus to ourselves again. Sometimes we need a reminder of who we are. I'm convinced that when we know who we are, when we have our identities firmly rooted in Christ, then it makes it much easier for us to go and tell somebody else about the exciting news that I've been raised from the dead. I died to a life of wickedness. And I do that daily going to the Father and asking Him to, to, to mold me again, raise me up again, strengthen me again, because I need Him. I need His faith. I need His grace. I need His mercy. And when we begin to learn that, when we begin to see that in our own lives, how much easier is it to go to the lost and say, let me tell you about the good news of the man who died for me and died for you. And that's the good news that you've heard preached here this afternoon. And if there's something that we can do as brothers and sisters with Christ, that's what the Hebrew author tells us, that he looks at us and he's not ashamed to call us brethren. And we want you to be able to say that today as well as too. 
Or if you can say that today, but you know that sin is still standing in your way that has separated you and you're seeking to come back to the Lord in repentance. Whatever it is that we can do to help you, won't you let us know as we come forward now and sing the song of invitation.